0: And Tonight, or this message, we are only going to look at the first two verses, the first horseman of the apocalypse. We're going to go into great detail. I'm going to do my best to really answer a lot of really good questions that you probably have in your mind. And then the next message, I'll deal with the following three horsemen of the apocalypse. So with the four horsemen of the apocalypse, you have the rider on the white horse, which we're looking at in this message. The next three are the red horse, the black horse, and the pale horse. The red horse represents war. The black horse, famine, and um, also economic catastrophe. And then the pale horse represents death. So of the last three horses, red, black, and pale horse will be in the next message. Tonight we're going to be looking at just the white horse in the four horsemen of the apocalypse. First two verses of Revelation chapter 6. So let's get a little bit of a refresher in our minds. When we left off in in Revelation chapter 5, God the Father was on the throne. He was holding a scroll in his hand. John the Apostle looks with the angels. And the angels say, Who is worthy to open the scroll that is sealed with seven seals? And John looks because there is no one that is worthy. And then behold, the angels able to say, Worthy is the Lamb. For he, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, is able, he is the one who is worthy to open up the scroll that contains these seven seals. So what happens, the Lamb of God, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, he is able to go to the throne of the Father, and he has the scroll in his hand. Revelation chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, he opens up the first seal. And now we are going to find out what is on this scroll. Are you ready? Okay. Revelation chapter one, chapter six, excuse me, verse one. Now I saw John is writing, when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a loud, with a voice like thunder, "Come and see!" And I looked, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Jesus, this is the Lamb of God. He breaks the first seal, a white horse appears, and on the horse is a rider. The rider carries a bow, representing military weaponry and might, and the rider wears the crown of victor's crown because he is a conqueror. Hence, we're told here, he went out, end of verse 2, conquering and to conquer. Now before we go any further, understand this. When you get to Revelation chapter 6 verse 1, you have the opening of the first seal. In the book of Revelation, you have a total of three sets of judgments. The seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, the bowl judgments. There's seven of each of the judgments. Seven seal judgments, seven trumpet judgments, and then the seven bowl judgments. How they unfold is like a telescope, right? you got the first, and then the second, and then the third. So they, 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 they unfold like that. I believe all of the judgments are consecutive. The first seven, and then the next seven and then the, the the final seven which um, comes towards the latter half of the book of Revelation so here it is it's the beginning of the first set of judgments the feel the, the seven seal judgments so let's get going with this uh, the rider on the white horse appears he goes out conquering and to conquer so let's get a look at its rider who is it that's riding on this white horse uh, six questions ready the first question is this is this writer Jesus now the famous Methodist theologian Adam Clark thought it was and many other conservative Bible scholars agree Uh, There's also people who teach that the Antichrist is Islamic he comes out of a revived eastern leg of the Roman Empire rising up out of uh, Istanbul Um, but what does the Bible actually teach about this well let's figure this out is this rider on the white horse Jesus. The reason why a lot of scholars have thought that this is Jesus is because this rider's on a white horse. And Jesus himself, Revelation chapter 19, he's riding on a white horse. Now I saw heaven open, and behold a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. That's Jesus. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. Also, this horseman in chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. He's a rider on a white horse, and he's wearing a crown. Well, Jesus also wore a crown. In fact, Jesus wore many crowns. Revelation 19, verse 12. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. All right. Fair enough? Question number two. Man, we are moving fast tonight. Well, not for very long, though. Number two. Is this Christ or someone who wants to appear Messiah-like? That is a very good question, Pastor Tom. I agree. It is a good question, and I hope I'm going to be able to answer this well. Recall the words of Jesus, Matthew chapter 24. The disciples came to him privately and they said, Tell us when will these things be? Talking about the destruction of the temple and the end of the age, right? And tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. Right? For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And then after Jesus says this, so this is the first answer Jesus gives the apostles when they say, What's the sign of the end of the age? Tell us what's going on, destruction of the temple. Um, be careful, many are going to come proclaiming, I'm the Christ, and they are not the Christ. After this, Jesus spends the rest of Matthew 24 and Matthew 25 teaching about the end of the age and all the various signs. There will be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in various places and so forth, right? The abomination of desolation. But he starts. The very first answer he gives to the disciples is with this warning about deception, especially the deception of those who claim the Lord's name and authority. Uh, recall this also if you have if studied this before. In John chapter 5 verse 43, King James version of the Bible, Jesus said this, I come in my Father's name and ye receive me not. You reject me, right? And he's talking to the Jews. If another shall come in his own name, him ye will receive. Ah. So we're starting to get somewhere. The second question was this. Is this Christ in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2? Or is this a person who wants to appear Messiah-like? Like like a false Christ. Right? So with this rider on the white horse, I want you to consider a few things. Consider this. uh, Deception and deceivers. Deceivers. Now, Satan is a liar. you agree? Okay. Jesus said this to the Jewish religious leaders. Are you of your, you are of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he, this is the devil, Satan, is a liar and the father of it, uh, From end times Bible prophecy uh, perspectives, uh, the Bible shows Satan the liar at his most deceptive place. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil, and Satan, who deceives the whole world? So if Satan is a deceiver, his protege... The Antichrist will be a deceiver. In fact, 2 Thessalonians tells us that the coming of the lawless one, or you could put in here the coming of the Antichrist, uh, is according to the working of Satan. All right? With what? With all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, among those who reject the Lord. Because they, they're deceived, they've got the line wonders to deceive them because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. They wouldn't believe the gospel's complete rejection of the gospel. So this rider on the white horse, again, question number two is, is this Christ or someone who wants to appear Messiah-like? Uh, we have deception and deceivers, and we also have the grand deception. Now, let's consider the grand deception. You ready? Okay. Revelation tells us this. In fact, I'm going to turn over here to uh, Revelation chapter 13. But he deceives those who dwell on the earth uh, by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast. Telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image of the beast who was wounded by the sword and uh, and lived. It's the whole concept of deception. Now, look at this a little bit further in Revelation 13. You can read along with me if you want, or you can just listen, all right? But listen carefully. So the writer of the, or the, the, in Revelation chapter 13, the first beast appears, um, verses 1 through 10, and that's the Antichrist. You get to Revelation chapter 13, verse 11, and then you have the second beast. Then I, John writes, saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke like a dragon. So the second beast is the false prophet, and two horns like a lamb, he's going to appear very Christian, right? And so is the Antichrist. They're both going to appear to have this Christ-like thing going on. This Messiah-like thing. And many are going to be deceived. He exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence. So the false prophet is the second beast. When the Antichrist is in the presence, he exercises all authority and and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the, the Antichrist, whose deadly wound was healed. He performs, this is a lot, the, the, here's the great deception. He performs, verse 13, chapter 13, great signs, so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. This will be radically deceptive. Elijah the prophet caused fire to come down from heaven. Here the false prophet is doing that. Remember, Elijah the prophet, uh, you start thinking of John the Baptist, the word Jesus said if you've seen John, John the Baptist. You've seen Elijah. And he's talking about spiritually. So when you have the Antichrist appear on the scene, suddenly you have this false prophet calling fire down from heaven. You you have a nation of Jewish people who could be deceived quite easily, thinking, "Wow, well, wait a minute. This is what the Bible speaks of of Elijah calling fire down from heaven." And we know that Elijah is supposed to appear before the Messiah comes. Ah. The deception is going to be incredible. Does that make sense? Guess tracking still okay. And he deceives again, verse fourteen, chapter thirteen. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image of the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. And then it all goes. It says he gave, he gave a uh, power and and and. Uh, to the image of the beast also, and that the image of the beast was able to appear a very lifelike. So you start looking at this, and you start to put things together, you start to see not just the the, uh, deception and deceivers, but you can see the grand deception. To the point where the Antichrist, along with the false prophet, causes all to receive the mark of the beast, and to worship the beast, whose deadly wound was healed now understand this people will not worship the Antichrist because he makes nice speeches they will worship the Antichrist because he will be Christ like or you could even say Christ light he will appear very Messiah like hess chapter 6 verse 1 you have the rider on the white horse Jesus at the end of the tribulation, rider on the white horse, that white represents this authority of the Lord. So it, it, it is this deception? I believe, it, it is totally deception. This is what I believe. I believe the rider, chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, that's identified is the Antichrist. He will come as the savior of a world in a desperate need of salvation. He will seem to be the only hope of the world. He will conquer, but not just peoples and lands. He will conquer hearts and souls. He's going to win people over. There's many reasons I believe this is the Antichrist and not Jesus Christ. Um, just a few more of them. Uh, when the first seal is broken, Jesus will be in heaven breaking it. Right? The Antichrist is going to be on earth going out conquering and to conquer. Jesus returns at the end of the tribulation. Uh, the rider of the White Whitehurst shows up. In the beginning of the tribulation period, right? There's a couple of reasons. There's another one. This writer is part of the sequence of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. They're coming together. They represent war and famine and destruction. They're bringing and the murder of people on the planet. It's the opposite of Jesus. Let's move on. Next question. Number three. What else can we know about this writer? I'm glad you asked that question also. Again, I believe he matches the characteristics of the Antichrist. Um, the Antichrist is going to be a conquer. When you read Daniel chapter 9, Revelation chapter 13, other passages even in Daniel, you find out that the Antichrist is a conquer. But I'm going to set you up to help you understand this, okay? In a, in a better context of everything so you can get a really good handle. I promise you, by the time we are done here, in a little bit, um, you're going to have a really good handle on this white horse, what's going on here. All right? So consider this, Daniel chapter 9. Before the Antichrist shows up on the scene, Daniel is told, from an angel, Daniel is told, you've seen this passage before, but I'm going to show you something a little bit different this time. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. What for? to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, right? So notice the term 70 weeks. Also, for your people and your city. So this is to Daniel, angel speaking. Who are Daniel's people? The Jews, right? I'm going to make it simple, all right? Um, You're thinking of a city, a Jewish city. Let's say it's over in the land of Israel. It's really well known. Your city, Daniel. So what would be a holy city too? What city would that be? Okay, you guys are good. So your people is the Jews. Your your holy city is Jerusalem, right? It's God's chosen city for His chosen people, right? What for? To finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Here's the deal. These things haven't been done yet. All right? There's not an end to sin. All right, we have forgiveness... Sin hasn't ended yet. Everlasting righteousness isn't here yet. Uh, to seal a vision of prophecy, uh-uh. That's why we're here on Sunday nights. When it's all sealed up and done, guess what? We're going to be in heaven. In fact, we'll be back here in the millennial kingdom at that time. So it's not done yet. The Lord Jesus Christ has not been anointed as the most holy in the city of Jerusalem yet. So you start looking at this. You start saying, okay, 70 weeks is still in the future. Okay. Got that? Seventy weeks are determined for your people. But there is a problem. We're going to see this in just a minute. Um, in Daniel chapter 9, the Bible tells us... In fact, why don't we just turn over there. Daniel, Let's do that. Turn over to Daniel chapter 9. And in Daniel chapter 9, after you get through this passage of the 70 weeks, right? We read this. Daniel chapter 9, it's in your Old Testament. You guys there? Okay. Know therefore, in verse 25, and understand that the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince, until Jesus comes, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. How much is seven and 62? Really simple? Oh, uh, uh. Oh come on. What's one plus one? I'm gonna make let's we'll get warmed up. Two. What's seven? Okay, let's try this again. What's seven plus sixty-two? Oh, really? Okay, I'm gonna give you the answer. Sixty-nine weeks. What's seven plus sixty-two? Man, you guys, I thought I was bad at math. Sixty-nine weeks, alright? So after sixty-nine weeks are fulfilled. However, Daniel's told there's going to be a 70 weeks total to bring about an end to all the stuff, right? Okay. There shall be 7 plus 62 weeks. The street will be built uh, again, and the wall, even in troublesome times. That happened during the time of Nehemiah, all right? After the 62 weeks, in other words, after the 7 plus the 62, after the total of 69 weeks, that's a period of 483 years. The Messiah will be cut off, but not for himself. All right, so let me stop here. The Messiah being cut off after the 69 weeks, um, after 483 years from the command to build Jerusalem, rebuild Jerusalem and its walls, what happens? 483 years later, the Lord Jesus Christ is cut off. He is crucified. It even says here, not for himself. Who is Jesus crucified for? Anyone who would believe in him, right? Would not perish, but have everlasting life. All right, so it ends there. Okay. We know from the context that Daniel would have seen these weeks as a period of years, also as a common manner of speech to Hebrews of that day, and history also proves that these are weeks of years and not of days. So 483 years were fulfilled. 69 weeks were fulfilled. There's still a 70th week, or one final seven-year period. Each one of the weeks is a seven-year period. You guys tracking? All right. The, seven, the 70th week of Daniel, or that seven-year period, is known as... where to go? There it is. The tribulation period, right? Uh, the time of Jacob's trouble. This is when God turns his attention to the Jews. Again, the time of Jacob's trouble, or as we're seeing here in the book of Daniel... Um, the 70th week of Daniel. Okay. So what is what do we know at this point? The Messiah is going to be cut off after a period of 483 years. Jesus was crucified, right? After the 69 weeks. And it tells us this. After Jesus is crucified, verse 26, And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood until... The end of the war, desolations are determined. Verse 27, look at this. Here it is. Then he, who's he? It's the rider on the white horse, all right? Of Revelation chapter 6, verse 1. Then he, the Antichrist, shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. In other words, in the middle of the 70th week of Daniel, the final seven-year period of the tribulation or the time of Jacob's trouble, The Antichrist is going to break his covenant of peace. Okay, now let me back up a little bit more. So we just read, we're going to figure out who the Antichrist is. Uh, I I don't mean we're going to name them. So work with me on this, right? It tells us here, And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Verse 26b, the second half of verse 26. The people of the prince who is to come. Verse 26 starts with, and. So in in addition to the Messiah being cut off, in addition to the Lord Jesus Christ being crucified, the city and the temple will be destroyed. That's what it says here. We just read it. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. When was the city of Jerusalem and the sanctuary destroyed? Okay, 70 AD, okay? You guys still with me? during the time of Titus how do we know so here it's gonna come together here I promise no matter how confused I made you how do we know that the Messiah being cut off and the 70th week or, or the destruction of the city of Jerusalem were not part of the 70th week how do we know they weren't here's the key because the next verse verse 27 begins like this it says Then, he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. After the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. I hear a lot of Bible teachers out there that say, all things prophetically were fulfilled in 70 A.D. When you look at Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, after the Messiah has been cut off, after the destruction of the city and the people, verse 27, the very first word, then... He shall confirm a covenant with seven years. Then the seven-year tribulation period begins. Make sense? Okay. Here's one more thing I want you to think about. What marks the beginning of the seven-year tribulation period or the 70th week of Daniel or the time of Jacob's trouble? What marks? They're they're synonymous. In other words, what marks the beginning of the seven-year tribulation period? Is it the rapture? Okay, it's not the rapture. All right. It is. The covenant of peace that we just read about. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, for one seven-year period. In the middle of the week, that covenant is going to be broken. There's a lot of Christians, and even Bible teachers, that say the rapture marks the beginning of the tribulation. It does not. The covenant of peace with many, Israel and the many other nations, I believe many of the Islamic nations and the U.N., is what marks the beginning of the seven-year period called the Tribulation Period. Now, I I want you to look at this. Look up here with me, please. Um, Who do you see there? Jimmy Carter attempting peace with Israel, right? Bill Clinton, peace with Israel, right? You see where this is going? George Bush, peace with Israel. Barack Obama peace with Israel Donald Trump peace with Israel all of these presidents of the United States obviously had this in common let me be the one to negotiate peace in Israel all of these peace plans are basically uh, uh, along the same lines land for peace let's divide the land of Israel specifically Jerusalem, West Bank, East Bank. Give this to the Palestinians, uh, this to the Jews. They all follow the same plan. Donald Trump's plan follows the same plan. Okay, Now reason with me for just a couple more minutes, and then we'll get to the final questions. I promise the rest of the questions will go way faster. Um, Revelation, excuse me, Genesis chapter 12 verse 3, the Bible says, I will bless those who bless thee, I will curse those who curse thee, right? So you can look at all of the presidents and perhaps all of them were thinking, I'm going to bring peace to Israel. Um, I want to be a blessing to them. Probably not believing Genesis chapter 12 at all, but still maybe trying to do some good. You listen, I I want to do good. I got to be the the one to bring peace, right? Um, Here's the problem with that. The Bible tells us, God says specifically in Joel chapter 3, I will judge the nation that divides my land. Ultimately, the Antichrist is going to be the one who's going to be able to confirm the covenant of peace. And it is going to go really, really bad. But I look at things that are going on in America right now. And personally, I've got to wonder, are we suffering some of the things that we are suffering because of the attempts And I'm not trying to disparage the president, but the reality of it is, and it's probably getting all kinds of people on the internet mad at me, maybe some of you mad at me too, but I'm telling you, he is trying to bring this peace plan to force Israel and um, the Palestinians into this agreement to divide the land of Israel. I was talking with a friend of mine from Israel recently, Jewish man, and he said their concern with Donald Trump is he's going to put so much pressure on them that they're worried. Uh, uh, about that. So you start looking at this. Is this making sense? Don't send me your emails, because I don't want to read them. (laughs) Here's the problem. This is what it really comes down to. Uh, You can read these two signs up here, right? Israel, your days are numbered. For world peace, Israel must be destroyed. That's the thought process. Uh, This is the direction that things are ultimately headed. So when the Antichrist comes on the scene, he's going to be successful at confirming the covenant of peace that all of our presidents have been trying to do um, he's going to be successful at it at least for a time and then at the midpoint he's going to confirm a covenant with many for one week in the middle of the week he's going to end it and he's going to turn his attention to destroying the Jews so let's back up for just a minute this question goes super fast who destroyed the city of Jerusalem in 70 AD ah you guys are good yes I didn't even show that and you answered that the Romans destroyed the city, right? So think through this with me. This is going to be super fast. The people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city. The prince who is to come is the Antichrist. He didn't destroy the city, but the Romans were the ones who destroyed the city in 70 AD. That's one of the several reasons why I believe the Antichrist comes out of a revived Roman Empire, out of the western leg of the Roman Empire, out of modern-day Europe, quite possibly even Rome itself. that it didn't have to be Rome. Not saying he's an Italian, but out of a revived Roman Empire, right? Question number five Who is the miracle man? Who's the miracle man? The one that confirms the covenant with many for one week. Now think of this. And we're getting near the end, I promise. Scout's honor. Almost there. To find the identity of a pronoun, you look for the antecedent. That usually means the last person identified in the writing. So you go back and you see it's the prince who is to come, the, who is of the people who destroyed the city. Revelation chapter 6 gives us a hint. He went out conquering and to conquer. You remember that? Chapter 6, the end of verse 2. Rider on the white horse went out conquering and to conquer. Check this out Daniel chapter 8, verse 25, King James Bible. And through his policy, speaking of the Antichrist, also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand, and he shall magnify himself in his heart, and by peace shall destroy many. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken and without hand. All right? So look at this. By peace he will destroy many. Okay. I promise we're almost there. Are you guys still tracking? You guys still here? Okay, Revelation chapter 13, beginning of verse 3, says this All the world marveled and followed the beast. That'd be the Antichrist. So they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the, the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? So we, we, we don't know much. Uh, uh, we, we don't know how much of this is military conquest. Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with the beast? Um, but the fact, from the fact that the world marveled and followed him and they worshipped him, we know this, that the Antichrist is a seducer who conquers hearts, but he's also a warrior. So they asked the question, who is, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Uh, think of this. When the NFL's New England Patriots went through the regular season undefeated in 2007, the question was, who is able to defeat them? Uh, the, the implied answer is nobody can beat the Patriots, right? Uh, much more so, and much more violently, and spiritually, and viciously, but yet deceptively. Who's able to make war with them? They're going to be worshiping this guy is awesome. The people's awe of the Antichrist seems to indicate some military victories. And also in Revelation chapter 6, verse 2, the rider on the white horse, he had a bow. A bow represents weapons of war. To be militarily impressive today, which the Antichrist will be, means a vast nuclear arsenal. It will be a bow. He has weapons of power. People have the sense that he, can, that he can't be beaten in war. He goes out conquering. And that sounds like a military leader who has successfully engaged in battle. Um, This is one of the reasons why I believe that, that the United States of America will be swallowed up into this revived Roman Empire. Because when you look at the world today and the weapons that the United States has, there is no army in the world that could come close to matching the United States. You give someone like... The Antichrist and the leaders of the New World Order, the authority over the, the weapons that the United States has, it matches what we read about in Revelation chapter 6, uh, verse 2, that he's able to go out conquering and to conquer. Revelation chapter 13, who's able to make war with him? This guy has a bow. This guy has military might that nobody can match. So I believe the United States is going to be swallowed up into... The new world order that gives rise to the Antichrist, but the ultimately will be led out of Europe. Now also this, knows this, in Revelation chapter 6, he's riding on a white horse, he has a bow. It does not say he uses his bow to get peace, right? It seems from various texts that he has proven to have his vast military might and, and, and even other victories. However, at this point, it appears that it's peace through diplomacy. Again, Daniel chapter 8, by peace, he will destroy many. By peace, he's able to go out conquering and to conquer. You do what I say, or I'll nuke you, or whatever it is, right? I I mean, you can see this authority. However, the people are going to be won over. He's going to be extremely charismatic, extremely likable, um, and the people are just going to say, wow, this guy is incredible and who can make war with him. Uh, if you were to take Donald Trump and put him in here, he seems to threaten a lot of other people, but he does not have the personality. That he, I mean, his tweets are proof of that. He doesn't have the personality to win people over to his side. The Antichrist is going to have this powerful military behind him. Probably already use it, but he's going to have this winsome personality that this world has never, ever, ever seen before. Ever has a scene before? The world has had the Lord Jesus Christ. And when the Antichrist rises on the scene, empowered by Satan himself, it's going to be strikingly incredible, so much so that people are going to say, This must be the Christ. Does that make sense? Okay. Last question: here it is. What will the world look like when the Antichrist comes into power? Um, you ready? there will be financial collapse that will give rise to the Antichrist Um, uh, uh, imagine right now how how the world looks Uh, I get things in my inbox that say uh, economic disaster is coming I've been getting these for a long time but uh, it's building and building and building and building right there's trillions of dollars in deficit pretty much from every country in the world Um, imagine the rapture takes place I imagine after the rapture takes place uh, this thing is going to collapse if it doesn't collapse sooner. But I want to say this to to quench some of your troubles or fears about the economy. This is my own opinion. I realize I may be wrong. It could collapse tomorrow morning. So don't so don't take my my thoughts to the bank and then blame me. So but if you look at the at the the entire world's in financial it's a financial mess. Virtually the safest place in the world to invest your money right now is in the United States of America. As many troubles as we have, it's a lot safer than the rest of the world. So what is happening right now, you have people from all over the world, the super rich, which I'm guessing nobody in this church is, I'm talking the super rich are pouring their money into investments in the United States. So at this time, things are still buoyed up. But the day is coming when there's going to be great financial collapse. It's just a matter of time. Tick-tock, tick-tock, and this thing is going to come. Crashing down. Could be at the rapture. Could be before then. I don't know. But eventually it's going to collapse. And out of this collapse, the Antichrist is going to seize power and he will bring in what's going to appear to be military and financial peace. You're going to have trouble, uh, wars, and rumors of wars. He's going to step on the scene. He's the rider on the white horse. Peace through diplomacy. He's going to be powerful. Who can make war with him? He's going out conquering and to conquer and also this great financial collapse has come he's gonna come along, seemingly have all the answers Hence, you're gonna to have to submit to his financial system so that no one can buy or sell unless you receive the mark of the beast that's the only way this thing's gonna work out he's gonna to seem to have the answers he's gonna to seem to be a miracle man what else the Antichrist will give a sense of meaning and purpose um, think of the irony of this first seal uh, Jesus opens the first seal but the world, it's a judgment. But the world is going to love it. They're going to say, oh, we've got peace. We've got our money problems fixed. I mean, look how worried everybody is now in the world. What in the world is going on? The first seal is open. People are going to think, woo this is great, but it's actually a judgment. People are deceived. Uh, here's something else to think of also. In Romans chapter 1, the Bible tells us that... Uh, The time is coming, it appears to be now, when people worship the creation rather than the creator, right? And he will give them up to their vile passions and vile thoughts. He will give them up to men line with men and women line with women, right? He will give them up to homosexuality. When you understand it in the context, homosexuality is actually a judgment from God. Have you ever thought of that? Upon people. So people say... The planet will be judged for something like that, according to Romans chapter 1, it appears that is part of the judgment. Just like in Revelation chapter 6 verse 1, the people are saying, this is great. This guy's got all of his answers, or all the answers we need. It's actually a judgment from God. He's going to come on the scene like a rock star. People are going to think he's wonderful. Um, He's even going to give some kind of spiritual meaning to everything, although it's a false spiritual spirit that they're following. Last thing is, um, the peace is going to end. We already read about that. The Antichrist will confirm the covenant with many for one week. In the middle of the week, he will proudly defile the holy of holies. He'll speak blasphemies against God and the things of heaven and against God's people. He'll turn the attention to absolute destruction of the Jewish people and anyone that comes to faith to, in Jesus Christ during that time. But the good news is, we saw it already uh, in um, chapter 8, verse 25. Of Daniel, can I read it to you one more time? This is good news. This is really good news. So through the Antichrist policy, he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand. And he will magnify himself in his own heart. He will, by peace, destroy many. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hand. That's woohoo! That's what this is. That's this. Then the beast was captured, this Antichrist that we're reading about, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two, the the Antichrist and the false prophet, were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen.